0: Do you turn to the pantry when you're feeling upset? If you eat to help manage your emotions, you probably already know that it doesn't work that well. Once you're done eating, you probably feel even worse. Hi, welcome to Your Great Journey. Each week, we offer you brief tips, techniques, and insights to help you master big change. For more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks, available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com. In today's episode, we're sharing an excerpt from clinical psychologist Jennifer Tates' audiobook, And Emotional Eating, using dialectical behavior therapy skills to cope with difficult emotions and develop a healthy relationship to food. Dr. Tates knows that eating can all too easily become a strategy for coping with depression, anxiety, boredom, stress, and anger. It's also a reliable reward when it's time to celebrate. If you're ready to experience emotions without consuming them or being consumed by them, end emotional eating can help. You'll learn how to manage your emotions and urges gracefully, live in the present moment, learn from your feelings, and cope with distress skillfully. In this excerpt, Dr. Tates addresses the cycle of craving, caving, and guilt that can so often feel endless. Instead of feeling helpless, Dr. Tate's offers an effective technique to surf over your urges, whether or not they're centered around
1: food. Do you find that the more you crave, the more you cave? There you are, patiently standing in line for coffee. You see a fresh cranberry muffin and begin to ponder. If I don't buy it, I won't stop thinking of cranberry muffins all morning. I had breakfast, but I still feel hungry. Probably because I didn't sleep that well. In fact, I need some sugar to boost my energy. Anyway, it's not worth starting the day disappointed when I kind of loathe my job. Soon your mouth is full of cranberry muffin. Urges may be physical, psychological, or some combination of the two. The muffin scenario is both, and once our emotions are involved, they may affect both our physiology and our appetite. Have you noticed anxiety leading to an experience of shakiness that you perceive as hunger? It may be worthwhile to slow down, step back, and consider your current emotions. And whether satisfying a momentary urge, however strong, relates to what you value, to what you want your life to really be about. Of course, if you are physically hungry, valuing your health translates to eating healthfully. On the other hand, if you feel sad, but also care about learning to cope with the negative emotions meaningfully, it may be worthwhile to observe the hungry urges and what they really indicate. Are you trying to manage unpleasant feelings by munching them down? Will this approach work in the long term, or even in the short term, after the food has gone down the hatch and regret sets in? What goes up must come down. In our minds, a greater urge equals a greater need to indulge. This is an illusory correlation. An example. Even if you noticed that all your acquaintances who are five foot eight wear glasses, it would be inaccurate to assume that height and impaired vision were related. Similarly, just because you have a strong urge for a candy bar, this does not mean that your need for one is any stronger than normal. What would happen if an urge got stronger and stronger, and you just noticed it without reacting. An old college friend of mine smoked several packs of cigarettes a day. His family lived in Singapore, and flights between New York City and Singapore are 18 hours long, or, in his terms, 30 cigarettes worth of time. When asked how he managed his cravings on the long, smoke-free flights when he visited his family, he explained, They get real bad, and they pass, and they get bad, and they pass. In being forced to endure his urges without acting on them, my friend, though unwillingly, experienced the fundamental principle of urges. They swing up and they swing down. The fact is that often we simply forget our cravings, and we also forget this fact. Have you had urges that simply escape your memory? Take a minute to think about urges you experienced yesterday. You may have had urges to say something, indulge in a sweet treat, or snooze. What happened to these urges? There are also urges we escape due to circumstances. Can you bring to mind an urge that you experienced intensely that you did not satisfy? You so badly craved lemon sorbet, your mouth watered. When you got to the gourmet shop, you found that that zesty palate cleanser was sold out. What happened next? Chances are you felt a twinge of disappointment and drove home. Lemon sorbet lost its luster for the time being. By contrast, what happens when we indulge a craving? The more we give in to our urges, the more we crave and the weaker our ability to resist. To put it simply, consequences influence behavior. The more we indulge in a habit, the more habitual it becomes. Ever work in an office with a candy jar? It may be more manageable to never stick your hand in the candy jar instead of reaching for a gummy bear on your way to the copy machine. Otherwise, before you know it, it's as though eating a gummy bear is part of the copying process. Have you ever had one gummy bear and felt satisfied? Note that this is possible with mindful eating. Now add stress to the equation. You feel stressed, and there are gummy bears to console you. Eating gummy bears becomes part of the stress loop. You feel stressed, you eat gummy bears. You feel stressed as well as bad about the gummy bears. You feel more stressed, and you eat more gummy bears. It's important to notice that indulging food urges is reinforcing on multiple levels. Lori, a 34-year-old woman, loathed her work as an attorney and often brooded anxiously about other potential careers that would afford her the opportunity to pay off her Ivy League loans. In the meantime, she was understandably reticent to complain and was diligent in her work at a prominent law firm. Before major deadlines, Lori worked 15-hour days, and her expression of stress and anxiety was apparent to all who passed the glass walls of her office. Her shoulders slumped and her face tensed. Her paralegal Jack knew Lori's tastes in comfort food. When he noticed her head fall into a pile of papers on her desk, he stepped out to buy her the delicacies she seldom ate on her low carbohydrate diet Noki, biscotti, and a mocha latte. Lori looked euphoric as Jack approached with her treats. She also felt indebted to Jack and obligated to enjoy them. Her appreciation was contagious, and Jack was grateful for her warmth. Notice there are several layers of reward here. First, there is a positive reinforcement to eat. In other words, eating adds something pleasing to the situation. Food is reinforced internally and socially. Lori enjoys eating her forbidden foods as a treat, and she also enjoys pleasing Jack by showing her enthusiasm. How often have we pleased our grandmothers by eating their chicken soup? In addition, There is also a negative reinforcement attached to eating here. That is, it is pleasing because it removes a negative state. Lori's impromptu feast means that she gets a break from the legal nightmare and its emotional effects. As we can observe, eating for emotional reasons is rewarding on a couple of levels. Now that we understand the benefits in emotional eating, let's better understand some of the consequences. While the food is delicious and temporarily energizing, when she uses it, Lori fails to learn other ways to cope with emotions. Also, soon enough, perhaps mid-bite, Lori begins to feel guilty and anxious about loading up on empty calories and carbs, leaving her not only stressed and anxious about her work, but stressed and anxious, and guilty, about eating unhealthfully. In Summary 1. Stopping emotion X by eating leads you to mistakenly believe you cannot otherwise manage X. 2. Managing emotions through food may create secondary negative emotions. 3. The more frequently you use food to manage emotions, the more ingrained this habit becomes. The brain is active and plastic. We strengthen neural connections underlying our behaviors when we engage in repeated actions. In contrast, refocusing and changing behaviors alters the brain. Rebuilding neural pathways is a process. The good news is that over time, the link between the behavior and engaging in the urge will be weakened. Jeffrey M. Schwartz, a renowned psychiatrist at the University of California, Los Angeles, is well known for his work in treating obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD. While you may not suffer from OCD, If you can understand the way behavior changes one's brain, you will learn something important about coping with your urges. People with OCD struggle with intrusive, anxious thoughts and may engage in habits, such as checking or hand-washing, to reduce their anxiety. Schwartz developed an effective treatment for OCD, as well as other problematic habits. He noticed three main differences in brain scans between individuals with OCD and those without it. The orbital frontal cortex, part of the frontal lobe, fires in awareness of mistakes and is more active in an obsessive person. The cingulate gyrus emotes a mistake feeling, causing an experience of panic, which is also heightened in OCD. Lastly, the caudate nucleus allows our minds to shift focus, but in OCD, the caudate nucleus seems to get stuck, causing a lack of mental flexibility. In other words, a person suffering from OCD becomes caught in intense feelings of making a mistake, in physical symptoms of anxiety, and in difficulty shifting attention. These changes are apparent in neuroimaging studies. Schwartz's treatment changes brain circuits by modifying the neurological links involved. He encourages patients to manually, that is, deliberately, shift attention, and focus fully on another, pleasurable activity when urges arise. First, patients are taught to label their experience. So, rather than thinking, for example, germs, and feeling fear, panic, anxiety, they reinterpret these thoughts and feelings as OCD. This act of relabeling creates some perspective. Next, the patient is taught to refocus in the moment and deliberately engage in a pleasant activity. In this therapy, the doing is more important than the feeling. How does this work, given our discussion of reinforcement? Not engaging in the urge weakens the reinforcing principle of an urge, while engaging in a new behavior becomes reinforcing in itself. Simply put, this process leads to the creation of new brain circuits, which compete with the existing ones. When Schwartz examined patients after such treatment, the three areas of the brain that were previously locked or inflexible had begun to fire in a normal way. Brain scans similarly illustrate that emotional eaters and non-emotional eaters differ in their caudate nucleus response when presented with a chocolate shake or other temptation. This suggests that emotional eaters may be more sensitive to some of the rewards of food also emotional eating relates to increases in expectations of enjoying food as well as increases in the pleasure of eating while in a negative mood these multiple rewards make sense given what we know about the complexity of emotional eating food can be reinforcing on multiple levels giving immediate pleasure as well as relieving emotional pain however Schwartz's research points to the possibility of changing neural pathways. If Lori, our ambivalent and overfed attorney, were to stop, observe the force of her emotions, and then, instead of eating, deliberately relax her shoulders, release her facial tension, slow her breathing, and listen to her favorite music, she may, over time, similarly change her obsessive habit. She'll have to have a gentle talk with Jack, too. Urge surfing, a term coined by G. Allen Marlott, director of the Addictive Behaviors Research Center at the University of Washington, describes a technique to observe the rise and fall of a craving. In 1985, Marlott established the concept of urge surfing to help individuals who struggled with substance abuse. Urge surfing has since been generalized to help people who struggle with food cravings, preoccupations, and binges. The metaphor of surfing is wonderfully apt. Just as ocean waves rise and fall, our urges wax and wane, as do our emotions. Even the tallest wave must subside. Skilled surfers ride above waves and maintain balance in every circumstance. They demonstrate a fluidity and artful flexibility that may be described as dancing on water. I like the image of water dancing which speaks to the complexity as well as the adventure involved in the activity. Kelly Slater, the nine-time world champion surfer, advises that surfing requires knowing the water and which waves to ride, maintaining balance, and embracing failure. Why not, then, view an urge as a refreshing ripple to appreciate rather than a problem to be solved?
0: Thanks for listening to this excerpt from the audiobook End Emotional Eating, using dialectical behavior therapy skills to cope with difficult emotions and develop a healthy relationship to food. You can purchase the complete audiobook from any major online audiobook retailer. If you'd like more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, please rate it and review it. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks, available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E. M-E-D-I-A dot com.